0: Welcome to the Forgiveness Lab. For us, forgiveness is the power of God at work in our lives, a power that removes obstacles that have limited love and well-being, that lifts burdens that have crushed our spirits and distorted our full humanity. Forgiveness tends carefully to wounds of the soul, releases us from constraints that have stifled reconciliation and the practice of humanity liberated us to see and experience ourselves and those around us in different ways to see and experience them and us through the eyes and heart of God. Forgiveness is also a way of being. It's a way of being with others, with the world, and with ourselves. So forgiveness is a a power for healing and um, something that uh, we explore in depth here in the Forgiveness Lab. So I welcome everyone who's listening. I'm Scott Hutchinson, your host. Jamie is our producer and engineer, and today I want to welcome our guest, Carl Yusevitz. Carl is the Director of Pastoral Services at Penn Foundation Behavioral Health Services in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, an incredibly important resource in our larger community in so many ways. Uh, Carl's been there for a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. The, The impact of his work and his presence is great. Carl's also a a CPE supervisor uh, and leads clinical pastoral education groups on a a yearly basis. I've known Carl a long time. Carl is uh, a very interesting person, deeply compassionate, who has had a fascinating life. (laughs) So (laughs) any way that we get a chance to explore the stories of that would be great too. Carl, I welcome you.
1: Thank you great to be here. The kind of work that we do at Penn Foundation is very different than hospital ministry because we're dealing with illnesses of the brain and debilitating addictions that sometimes people move toward to self-medicate the illnesses of the brain. So it's great to be here. Thank you, Scott. Mm,
0: Well, you're welcome. You just started. Tell us about Penn Foundation. Tell us a little bit more about that place and about your work. Well,
1: during the two world wars, Mennonite Quaker, Church of the Brethren, uh, young men were drafted into uh, service. And because of their faith commitment, they couldn't serve uh, in a military capacity, so they did what they call alternative service. Mm -hmm. And uh, so these men were mostly farm boys, and they went to uh, mental hospitals. And this was before the great miracle drugs of Haldol and Thorazine, 1950s, the antipsychotics. And so what they saw in the mental hospitals was really horrifying to them. So they decided to found uh, mental hospitals across the United States and we're one of those mental hospitals. We're almost almost 60 years old. Trying to do, trying to care for for people with illnesses of the brain uh, differently in the name of Christ. So uh, they brought a faith perspective uh, to the founding of Penn Foundation. Penn Foundation originally, there was a lot of pressure back in the early 50s, middle 50s, to become a mental hospital, and the founders of Penn Foundation from Grandview Hospital and uh, the the Mennonite community, uh, businessmen and, and physicians, they didn't want to start a mental hospital. They wanted to treat people in the community, what we call community uh, mental health uh, services today, something we take for granted. But back in the 50s, everybody was sent to large mental hospitals, and they were treated there. And so we started something new, and then the Kennedy and Johnson administrations, where they, back in the '60s, they found out about us. They invited us to Washington, and we're part of the conversation of starting uh, community-based mental hospitals across the United States. So we're sort of we think of ourselves as sort of pioneers in that field, and we're still doing community-based. We have over 400 employees right now. When I first started working there, we were we didn't have that number at all. Uh, so. I think the stigma around mental illness is lessening and people are are more willing to uh, seek us out and uh, go past their primary care physician and look for specialized services for their children and for their elderly parents and for themselves. We're very busy.
0: I'm sure. Well, and you're very much an integral part of the larger community.
1: We are. We've tried very hard to be uh, known by the community and to know the community. One of the first things I did when I first started working at Penn Foundation was to uh, visit the community churches and to get to know the clergy, not just as a referral source for people in the congregation who are struggling with with these kind of illnesses, but 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 to, but to say we you know we're partners in the wellness of this community.
0: Well, and you know many people have been served at Penn Foundation also who are folks who. Uh, you know, have needs in terms of their relationships, mm-hmm. in terms of brokenness and healing. And it seems to me that uh, Penn Foundation's presence, active presence in the community, also um, acknowledges any of these challenges or struggles or conditions as something that's a part of our
1: of our collective. Yeah, part of our common humanity. Co- our common humanity, yeah. right. right. Who is not broken, who is not in need of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I'm 74, and uh, as I got older, I started experiencing physical losses, so I had to begin to forgive my body (laughs) for not doing what it used Uh to do. I was a marathoner and a runner for, for many years, and then my ankles gave out, and my knees gave out, and I... I was very dis- discouraged for, for a while until I discovered a bicycle mm-hmm. again
2: mm-hmm.
1: and was able to move from running to, to cycling. But during those two or three years, I, I, I was not a very happy camper mm-hmm. uh, experiencing those losses and trying to forgive my body mm-hmm. for uh, not doing what it used to do when when I was in my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm.
0: That's um, actually fascinating. I mean, it's what you're describing is something that's very common to people's mm-hmm. experience, but I love your language about forgiving your body. Uh,
1: How does one do that? (laughs) Well, in the 12-step program, we have a prayer, which is very popular, called the Serenity Prayer, to accept the things that we cannot change. And uh, aging, I mean, we have Botox and all kinds of things you see advertised on TV, anti-aging creams and things like that, to pretend that we're not aging, or at least to have a persona that belies the fact that our body is aging so i i think part of getting older is is not just tolerating our losses but accepting our losses accepting the things that we cannot change mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for myself changing the things we can't change mm-hmm. like going from running to cycling mm-hmm. that was not i i never thought about that and it took me about two years to figure it out that i could do some of the same things on the trails I, uh, we live in Philadelphia, the Wissahickon and, and Forbidden Drive that I was doing when I was running, uh, but I was on a bicycle instead. Mm-hmm.
0: So, not to be glib about it, but um, sometimes our losses uh, open up opportunities Well, and, and even stimulate imagination. For sure. And, yeah, in terms for of sure. I, our capabilities.
1: Uh, the Dalai Lama says that if you're not grieving something in your life, you're not living. Because I think, whether we like to admit it or not, we're always grieving something that's falling away or we're letting go or we're trying to hold on to and it's being taken away from us. Mm. And a lot of that work is essentially forgiveness work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. My faith background is Christian, and Jesus was a rabbi and understood rabbinical teaching. But there were two things that he said that made him different. One was, forgive your enemies. No one had taught that before. Mm -hmm. It was always tit for tat. Somebody hits you, hit it, you can hit him back, and turn the other cheek. The, 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 that was unique teaching, and it got him in a lot of trouble with the religious authorities of the day. Yeah. And it's still its still, troublesome territory. It's troublesome because I, revenge is always available. Uh-huh. The retaliatory impulse to hurt somebody who's hurt you. And sometimes if we if we choose not to hurt the other person, we internalize that retaliatory impulse, and where I work, you know we call that depression
0: mm-hmm.
1: where we we retaliate against ourselves mm-hmm. because we can't get back at the person who hurt us, yeah, yeah,
0: so there's a a limitation. Or perceived limitation, experienced limitation, in terms of what we can do,
1: exactly in
0: circumstances where we're hurt, we're frustrated. We're yeah, because
1: we forget that we're we're the, we're part of God's creation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're not the creator. Mm-hmm. So, being created means that we have limitations. Creation has limitations. Mm-hmm. I mean, the birth and death cycle of of creation of nature is is always available to us. Mm-hmm. To remind us that we're part of God's creed.
0: That's one of those things we can't control. (laughs) And yet in the midst of those limitations are all these incredible experiences Mm -hmm. and
1: discoveries. We can find freedom within our limitations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found freedom from going from running to cycling. I I found a different kind of freedom on a bike uh, that I I wouldn't have had if I was just walking. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right i think that's part of the genius of our humanity is that when we admit our limitations and try to work within our limitations, we can experience the freedom
2: mm-hmm.
1: and pushing against the boundaries, always pushing against the limitations mm-hmm. but accepting them, accepting the things we can't change
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. when when you did some work in our congregation, which now was five or six years mm-hmm. ago, right I remember when you we you were teaching us and leading us in a workshop on living with illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had us delve into biblical text and into psalms Mm -hmm. that helped us to discover speech or to give us voice. Mm
1: -hmm. I began with a quote from Susan Sontag, who died of cancer and who was one of my favorite authors. She wrote this, Everyone who is born is born holding dual citizenship, Citizenship in the kingdom of the well, and citizenship in the kingdom of the sick. Although we prefer to use only the good passport, sooner or later each of us is obliged, at least for a spell, to identify ourselves as citizens of the other place, the kingdom of illness.
2: Mm.
1: And uh, and I use two psalms. One was Psalm 126, uh, a psalm that comes from the first passport, the, the passport that we hold when we're well. It seems like a dream when the Lord brought us back from the, to the city of Zion. We celebrated with laughter and joyful songs. In foreign nations, it was said the Lord has worked miracles for his people. And so we celebrated because the Lord has indeed worked miracles for us. That, that's clearly the passport of people who are well <laughs> and don't have too many cares. But there's another psalm, Psalm 86, that reflects the second passport. Please listen, O Lord, and answer my prayer. I am poor and helpless. Protect me and save me, because you are my God. I am your faithful servant, and I trust you. So be kind to me. I pray to you all day. Make my heart glad. I serve you, and my prayer is sincere. You willingly forgive, O God. And your love is always there for those who pray to you. Please listen to me, O Lord. Answer my prayers for help. For when I am in trouble, I pray, knowing that you will listen. Yeah, so I, I've been ministering in the world of physical illness and illnesses of the brain uh, for a long time now. So a lot of the people that I minister to hold that second passport
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what's available to them, if we if we see illness as a wake up call to our mortality and to our being a creature, is uh, new lessons. Mm-hmm. What what is what is God trying to tell me? What lessons can I learn? In spite of this illness, because of this illness.
0: Are experiences of wholeness mm-hmm. uh, or some measure of wholeness still available to us when we've gone through oh, great yeah. losses?
1: I remember one of the first funerals I had in, in the parish that I served in London, England, in the eastern of London, was a young girl who was dying of leukemia. She was 12 years old. And when she got this awful diagnosis and prognosis, her family was distraught. The church congregation was distraught. But somehow, Lillian, that was her her name, she wasn't distraught. She somehow, as a 12-year-old, was able to understand that she had led a full and a rich life up to that point and that her life was always going to be in God's hands. So Mm -hmm. she taught us tremendous lessons. This was in the Roman Catholic tradition, and so the, the congregation took up a, an offering uh, to send Lillian and her family to Lourdes, which is a place of healing, mm-hmm. traditional place of healing in the Catholic tradition where people who are sick go and pray for a cure. Mm-hmm. And so we all saved the money and sent Lillian and her family to Lourdes. And she wasn't cured physically, but I noticed that somehow her family and the con- members of the congregation who went with them were cured, that somehow they were able to accept the limitations of Lillian's life, which went in you know, before she was even 13 years mm-hmm. old. But somehow that was an important lesson for all of us, to realize that this that, that she was sent to us for 12 years, mm-hmm. and that we were to rejoice and to celebrate those 12 years, rather than to curse the fact that she was not going to you know, grow old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was... So healing comes, I think, both physically as well as spiritually. Mm-hmm. There was a letting go that the congregation was able to do, so that her funeral it' was one of the first funerals I did in the church was really a celebration of her life, mm-hmm. rather than the mourning of her death.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I imagine, yeah, they, um, to celebrate her life involved, also you know, deeply mourning oh, her my death.
1: But, yeah. uh, she was a dancer. And um, she asked me if I would. She knew I played the guitar and that, that I liked to sing. If I would sing "Lord of the Dance" really? at her wow. funeral, because she was mm-hmm. a dancer, mm-hmm. and her dance troupe—the people that mm-hmm. she studied dance with—were uh, all the young girls were there. And it was really hard for me to get through that song. Let me tell you, oh, my my. But what a gift! It was. It was. I mean, it sounds like her gift was through her you. Gift to, yeah, yeah. to the congregation that mm-hmm. she was dancing with God mm-hmm. in heaven, mm-hmm. to use that expression, mm-hmm. uh, that metaphor. That she, her dance continued just like the, the Lord of the Dance, the, the, the song talks about. The mm-hmm. dance will continue. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I love that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when I think of forgiveness, I often hyphenate it. Mm-hmm. And I think of, you know, forgiveness. Yeah like that. And expressions of giving, the giving of self.
1: Because it's a choice. Yeah. Forgiveness is a choice. Take it or leave it. <laughs> it's like if you go in and you want strawberry ice cream, and all they have is vanilla and chocolate. You say, well, I don't have a choice because I wanted strawberry. Well, you have a choice. You can say, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So forgiveness is always a choice. Uh, but it, it, it does take time to get to that place where we make the choice. Mm-hmm. To accept what we cannot change.
0: Right. And perhaps, you know, and they talk back with me about this, but um, to to recognize what we've been given. You oh, know, when you're exactly telling the story right. of Lillian, you're, you're mm-hmm. talking about people in enormous pain and loss. Right. Celebrating what they've been given.
1: Well, she was given to us for mm-hmm. those 12 years. She was also taken from us. Yeah. What do you focus on? focus on what was given to us right. and to right. celebrate her life in right. spite of the fact that she was taken from us
0: it seems to me that um, being able to uh, you know to mourn the loss very deeply and honestly and to have a space and an experience in which to do that 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 I like to think of those spaces as forgiving spaces mm-hmm. Because often we think about forgiveness just in terms of, in the, in the religious community, we talk about it in terms of sin. And yeah. we think about sin as wrongdoing. Right. Um, but this, we're talking about forgiveness, uh, the giving and receiving of something mm-hmm. at, at, at a deeper level than right and wrong.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people think of forgiveness as mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Mm-hmm. You know, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Acknowledging our sin Asking for forgiveness helps us to be right with God. And of course, I believe we need to be right with God. Mm-hmm. But also in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the abundant life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's more to it than just a mechanical kind of, I'm sorry, please forgive me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I accept your forgiveness. And then we move on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so, Somehow that, that becomes part of how we live our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like death. I mean... Uh, I think as we get older, we experience little deaths, small deaths that need to be grieved, and that prepares us for 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 the for the kind of, kind of the big death,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where we move from relationship to a memory mm-hmm. in, in the lives of other people. It helps us to prepare for that.
0: Mm. So all of this is, is really to a part of not just individually but collectively our living a life well.
1: In community. In community. I think so many people live solitary, separate lives, that they're not known at a deep level by anybody. They don't know anybody at a deep level. And what a gift it is uh, for people to be known at a deep level mm-hmm. and to know others at a deep level. We call that love, intimacy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that that, that that that's what God wants. God wants to be known by his people. God wants to know his people. Mm-hmm. And our knowledge of self, doesn't does include limitations and and things that we're not excited about we mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, would rather not dwell on, mm-hmm. but it's part of our of our humanity yeah yeah
0: i uh I know for myself that so much of what has been rich in my life, which has involved um, not only just so much graciousness but you know generous amount of loss mm-hmm. you know that that the richness is in all of it.
1: We get people who come to the Penn Foundation I meet them at the Inpatient Recovery Center who have pretty much lost everything. They've Mm -hmm. lost their spouse, they've lost their children, they've lost their house, they've lost their job. Ask them to write on a piece of paper all the things that are wrong in their life. They can fill up that piece Mm -hmm. of paper pretty quickly because they're in touch with that. Mm -hmm. Give them a clean sheet of paper and ask them to write what's right with your life. What are you grateful for? Mm -hmm. They have a hard time Mm -hmm. being grateful. And so one of the questions we ask them, well, what's the gift in you being here today? Sometimes it's hard for them to even name that gift, but but the fact that they're still alive, the fact that they're not on the streets, they're not homeless, they're not shooting up, that they're in recovery, maybe court-mandated, but still in recovery, Mm -hmm. that they're safe, that there are people who are smart about this kind of stuff, will be available to them. They're not alone in some kind of a cell, but they're with other people who are doing similar work. All of that is a gift. Mm -hmm. I mean, if addiction is the disease of isolation, the only way you can recover is in community with Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the genius of, of our Christian faith, that Jesus didn't come saving one person at a time, like in a butcher shop where you take a number, next, next. Next, but he founded a church or a community of believers, so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can begin to bear our burdens our, ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think forgiveness work needs to be done in community. It's not just a personal journey that we make with God. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's a communal journey. That's why I love it in in the in the in the Catholic liturgy and in some of the other liturgical churches, liturgy, they begin the Eucharistic celebration with reminding ourselves of our mortality and our limitations, our faults, and our failings and asking for forgiveness. I mean, even Jesus said if you've got an issue with somebody, settle that score first before Mm -hmm. you come to the table.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, So, you know, Jesus lived a life in the midst of, you know, people in various communities and a community developed around him. And to me, his life was an expression of what I like to call the giveness of God.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I like that.
0: It's a, it's a forgiving way of mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. Um, that crosses boundaries, mm-hmm. um, that addresses, you know, you talked poignantly a few moments ago about about people, the experience that, so many of us can have of isolation, mm-hmm. whether it's in addiction or just in the style of life mm-hmm. or in the pain that we carry mm-hmm. um, in our individualism. And and Jesus uh, lives out this life with others, you know, that, that opens up possibilities and experiences of people being received, mm-hmm. recognized, heard. That's right. Their stories honored.
1: Well, illness... We have a choice when we're ill. I mean, illness is is a wake-up call to our mortality, so it's questions of meaning and purpose. What does this mean? Now what's my purpose? Especially if we move, if we're not going to be restored to health, but we have to manage a chronic illness. I mean, that shift from being cured and being healed to now managing it like diabetes or cancer, those kind of illnesses. We can suffer alone. I mean, I think some animals, when they're wounded, go off. And suffer alone other animals when they're wounded they come back to us and they let us know that they're hurting my brother-in-law when he had cancer and had to have his leg removed because of the cancer at Hahnemann University Hospital decided not to stay in his room by himself he knew he knew he was on a cancer floor so he got his crutches and he he just popped into the rooms of all these people hello I'm so-and-so what are you in for kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He he refused to suffer alone. He refused to do his forgiveness work alone. Mm-hmm. And the stories that he heard from other people inspired him. And I think other people who heard his story, he was a medic mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War and suffered from Agent Orange poisoning that eventually took him, uh, were inspired by his story. So I I I think it's always a choice. Do we Mm -hmm. suffer alone or do we suffer with others?
0: Mm -hmm. So he was actually right there in the hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, um, manifesting what I would think of as a forgiving life. That's right. And that had him then receiving, you know, the richness of other people's lives right in the midst of, you know, urgent situations and uh, situations of loss and great vulnerability.
1: Yeah, I, I think loss... Creates a new normal in our life and it's a normal that we don't want to get used to just like aging uh, Creates new normals from the 60s to the 70s to, to the 80s to the 90s I have a spiritual director a Quaker woman friend of mine. She's 87 years old She said the 70s were great the 80s were tough So she's already acknowledging the fact that her body is not doing in her 80s. She's 87 mm-hmm. What it was doing in the, In her Mm seventies, but she's still living a full and a rich life. Mm -hmm. Well, and and elders are very important to the Mm -hmm. larger community. Right. I mean, just because you grow old doesn't mean you're going to be smart. I mean, there are a lot of stupid old people. (laughs) Put that as a a quote on the website. (laughs) (laughs) If you, if you have life experience, Mm -hmm. and you have the capacity to reflect on that experience, not just in a cave someplace, Mm -hmm. but with other people. Mm that can create wisdom. And Mm -hmm. that's where we look to our elders as wise people. Mm -hmm. But they didn't become wise by avoiding conflict, by avoiding illness, by avoiding loss, but by accepting what came their way and doing what they could to live a rich and a full life in Mm -hmm. spite of, or maybe because of, the losses Mm -hmm. in their life.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You just said some really important things. Uh, It seems to me that there's an invitation there Mm -hmm. and that since we've been talking about community, if we live in communities that are at least somewhat intentional Mm -hmm. with each other, there's a kind of collective invitation to risk a a, a way of life with each other that is more um, vulnerable, but also uh, recognizes uh, the value of all different experiences of life stories of wisdom Mm -hmm. to be shared that graces. Not just the people that you're with, but future generations. Right.
1: I mean, there is a branch of psychology, uh, comes out of feminist psychology, people like Carol Gilligan and Malenke and people like that, that talk about the formation of personality around losses when you were a young boy and a young girl. How you tolerated, how you worked through your losses actually helps to form your personality mm. later in life. I remember ministering to uh, an older woman whose husband was dying. This was at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital where I was doing more medical kind of chaplaincy. And when when her husband had died, I was with the woman and she was crying. And I, I said to her, what logically came, you must have missed him very much. You must have loved him very much. She said, I'm not crying about him. (laughs) It was shocking to me as the chaplain. I didn't know what to do with that. And I said, tell me about it. And she told me about a stillbirth that she had almost 70 years before, where when the baby was born dead, her husband said, we're not going to name this baby. We're not going to ever acknowledge this baby. We're never going to talk about this baby. Mm -hmm. This baby is is with God and... So, for 70 years, she kept this inside, and here she was, 70 years later, beginning to weep about that, mm-hmm. that she was crying for. Her. She says, my son would have been, you know, here at my side. She was an elderly woman. So, there so, was so, so, there was finally a release of something, of, of, of a loss that she experienced so many years ago, but was forbidden in her marriage mm-hmm. uh, to ever, ever refer to it and ever talk about it. Mm-hmm. She just kept that inside and eventually when she was free to do that, now that her husband was, was dead, she was able to, to, to remember this child. She said, I had a name for him, but I never told my husband
2: mm-hmm.
1: for the stillbirth. So that, that, that's what happens sometimes is, 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 the, is the loss goes somewhere mm-hmm. and resides somewhere in our body. Like in trauma work, we always say the body keeps score. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's there. And I think in in a faith community, like a church or a community of believers that get together, we try to create a a safe place for people to do that work. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for for their big loss that he was going to be leaving them. Right. And, you know, going to die. They didn't want to hear it. Right.
0: Yeah, he, you know, actually tried to tell them, I mean, the narrative several times mm-hmm. and talk, you know, rather poignantly about his own death. Right. And they began arguing over, you know, who was the greatest among right. them.
1: <laughs> they, they missed it. Yeah. They missed what he was trying to do, which was to prepare them for moving from a relationship to a memory. When he broke the bread and, and shared the cup, he said, remember me as food for your journey. Mm-hmm. They wanted him, not food for the journey. Right. Even though in one of the great post-resurrection narratives in John's Gospel, the, on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus joined them, but they didn't recognize him. Right. It's kind of an odd story. You wonder how that happened. But their hearts burned as they were telling the story mm-hmm. of Jesus. They were remembering him, doing what he asked them to do. Was to re- their hearts burned. Mm-hmm. And then when he broke bread, they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, and he disappeared.
0: And he, and he tells them in that, yeah, he dis- he tells them, and this is a very imaginative way of stimulating us. But he he opens up the scriptures and talks to them mm-hmm. about uh, about the story right. that we're all a part of. Right. But interprets it in with, it, with himself, himself with in them in a very personal way. In a very personal way. And once they have that, mm-hmm. he's gone again That's physically,
1: right. because now they see themselves as part of God's story. Mm-hmm. Not just a story that they make up as they're getting older and trying to figure out meaning and purpose themselves, but in light of God's salvation story, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like a gestalt, you know, so they begin to understand themselves in light of a bigger story, mm-hmm. uh, which Jesus was trying to prepare them for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that would, would
0: use the term terminology of gestalt. That larger story and the experience of mm-hmm. that, in a primary way, um, might enable then, in 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 a new way, the kind of sharing that you talked about, you know, with the woman mm-hmm. who um, who had, you know, uh, her child and the grief about mm-hmm. her child in her, and
1: could never ex-
0: and could never express, ex- it. express it, didn't have permission to express it, no. but it needed, and that child needed expression, mm-hmm. her love for the child needs, our pain needed expression. Right. Um, so our, um, how do we as pastors become, uh, I mean, you're you're a supervisor in clinical pastoral education. I've had wonderful experiences just with you and your groups. How do we as pastors become more and more
1: sensitized and um, equipped? Well, I think one of the principles Uh, educational principles of clinical pastoral education is to get in touch with your own stuff first before you start messing with somebody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. That means we have to set aside a time to pray. We have to set aside a time to be with, 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 with other people whom we feel safe with. So the work that we do dealing with, maybe that's not the right word, dealing with, but tolerating, working through, navigating, our own losses, will then position us to create a safe place for other people to do the same kind of work. Mm. But I know that that's hard work. I mean, Mm. um, when I was a teenager, I had an industrial accident in a factory, and I cut off three fingers on my right hand. And um, I never grieved that until I was in my mid-twenties in therapy. Uh, And I was only a teenager at the Mm -hmm. time, and Nobody thought that I needed a therapist. They just thought that we have to make sure gangrene didn't set in and I didn't lose my whole hand Mm -hmm. rather than just three fingers. And we got through that. Gangrene didn't set in and I was able to function pretty well after that. But it was in therapy, dealing with something totally different, that that loss emerged, Mm -hmm. a huge loss in my life at the time. And I was able to weep for the first time. It took about five years, six mm-hmm. years. But it was only in a safe place with another person right. who cr- helped to create that safe place with me and invited me to, to get in touch with that loss That I was able to, to get in touch with, the, with, with with the loss. But it took, it took, it took some time. Mm-hmm. Up, up to that point, I was hiding it. Yeah. You know, I had a prosthetic glove or I would wrap ace bandages around it, or I would keep my right hand in my pocket so people wouldn't see it. You know, it was all
2: hidden. Mm -hmm.
1: But then I became freer, I noticed, afterwards, after I was able to accept what had happened to me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I wasn't allowed to use the safety device on the saw that I was using because it would slow down the production of the work that I was doing in Uh the factory. So, I mean, in some ways, you could say it wasn't my fault, it was an industrial accident. There was no OSHA at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I should have known better. But when you're a teenager, you don't, you don't think anything bad sure. going to happen to you. Sure.
0: Sure. But, you know, that is a significant loss. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it sounds like, well, as you're saying, you know, you, um, you found a context in mm-hmm. which to, uh, to have that
1: tended. Yeah. All losses are connected. All grief work is connected. That if we're dealing with grief and loss and forgiveness work in this area, don't be surprised if something from another area emerges as well. Mm -hmm. Unfinished business, Mm -hmm. unreconciled stuff in our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're all connected. Yeah. Uh, And I think the feminist psychologists like Gilligan and others are right that our personality is formed by our attachments and our unattachments when, when we're little boys and little girls, how, how, we've, how, how we've done that work mm-hmm. and uh, how gracefully we've done that work mm-hmm. or not. Or not. Or, 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 or,
0: you know, been afforded the opportunity to do that.
1: Been, been get, having a, a safe home
0: mm-hmm.
1: or a safe uh, parent, mm-hmm. parenting relationship where, you know, boys don't cry. Boys can cry mm-hmm. in our home. The only feeling you can get in touch with as you're getting older is anger. So all of those all of those things help to form us. Later on, when when I was uh, a young adult, it was easy for me to get in touch with anger because I've done it all my life. But it was harder for me to get in touch with happiness, sadness, fear. Mm-hmm. I had to learn that I had to learn that it's okay to feel those feelings too. What helped you? Well, I think the love of other people mm-hmm. who said to me, what do you you, you you look pretty angry What do you mean you, you, <laughs> you, 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 I had a therapist one time, actually a Lutheran pastor who was a pastoral counselor when I was living in washington d c uh, who asked me one time how what I was feeling, and I said, not much but he says, "You know everything about your body language." tells me you're really angry this morning. What are you angry about I'm not angry. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, don't be helpful to me. <laughs> so I, I think it's other people inviting us mm-hmm. to live the full and rich life, mm-hmm. emotional life, the mm-hmm. effective life, because I was in my head a lot. I mean, everything, everything had to be processed through my, through my brain. Mm-hmm. All my feelings had to be processed through my brain. And I, I learned that my heart my effective side was just as real and just as much a creation of God as my brain,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: which is where I was dwelling, you know, for many years. Yeah. So others
0: helped with that by mm-hmm. recognizing, did, yeah. by naming mm-hmm. some of it, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, in, in a compassionate way mm-hmm. that invited exploration. Amen. Yeah. I was reading something the other day about, you know, I'm interested in, you know, forgiveness and end of life. Okay. Uh, because yeah. it seems to me that there can often be a lot of forgiveness work. Mm-hmm. You used the terminology of unfinished business yeah. a couple minutes ago, as as we come to the end end of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I was reading about talked about emotional legacy. Oh wow! Yeah, which I found to be mm-hmm. powerful terminology um, in terms of um, pastoral work mm-hmm. uh, with folks who are dying.
1: Where do you see, you know, forgiveness? Well, the hospice people tell us that there's five things that people need to say before they die. Um, Ira Biak, hospice physician, writes about this pretty eloquently. Those five things are, I love you, thank you, forgive me, I forgive you, goodbye. Mm. And I was thinking about the work I did with my father, who is a veteran, Purple Heart, Bronze Star, saw a lot of action during the Second World War. I was able to say three of those things to my father. He was able to say three of those things back to me. So we don't all say always those five things, but it's interesting. Of the five, two of them are about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. And how that settles the soul prepares the soul to make that passage from this life to memory. Mm-hmm. From breath to air, mm-hmm. to use that expression in one of the mm-hmm. books that I read of mm-hmm. recently. Uh, experience of peace. Peace. Yeah. To know that you are forgiven mm-hmm. by the people that you've hurt. Mm-hmm. Maybe not intentionally, maybe intentionally, to ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And to forgive them. For not being everything that you ex- you you expect them to be, okay. I think that's what sometimes what gets us in trouble is our ex- expectations of ourself, of our body. Okay. I remember when I used to run, I expected myself to do seven minute miles, and then six and a half minute miles, and then to do a six and a half minute mile for two miles. I mean, the expectations were unrealistic. Okay. Sometimes and so I become dehydrated or I collapse. So I think we always have to check our expectations because sometimes our expectations can get us in trouble and yeah. Our expectations of other people Particularly as a parent we have two children I have to always check my expectations of my son and my daughter that they they, they could be unrealistic mm-hmm. Or come more out of my life right we project than yeah. we project it, yeah, than, than their life. So I need to ask forgiveness mm-hmm
0: it seems to me that that kind of interaction and that kind of vulnerability is essential mm-hmm. in all of our relationships. You know, as a parent, I mean, we, you know, I, speaking as a parent, I mean, I, you know, have all sorts of worry uh, or concern That's right. continually well, even we want with, with, with adult children. Yeah. and uh, uh, But even when we have loved them well, you know, we've done things that have been damaging. Oh, yeah. Or, or you know, mm-hmm. taught them
1: things that, in retrospect, right. we wish they didn't learn from I know. us. As, as, my kid, as both of our kids were growing up, I would always see the, the things that I love about myself and the things that I don't like about myself in <laughs> the kids. where they get that from? Well, yeah. guess what? Yeah. I, I, I modeled that.
0: I sort of thought about, uh, in in um, humorously but also mm-hmm. uh, seriously, and in a really grateful way. But I, I, I've always seen our children as God's judgment upon us. No. <laughs> <laughs> in a really beautiful way. Do you know well, what I mean? In, in this incredible graciousness. Yeah, they hold
1: up mirrors. Yeah,
0: but they really do hold up mirrors yeah, for could, Look at yourself. Too. Right, <laughs> right.
1: I remember when I came home from work one day, I didn't have a very good day at work in ministry because you can not have good days in ministry too. Amen. And my daughter... I think she was maybe nine or ten at the time, she said to my wife, why is Dad so angry? And she, she picked it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when my wife shared that with me, I said, I don't want that to be a memory of Karis, our daughter, right, right. that Dad was an angry person. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things we need to righteously be angry about. Sure. Bruce Springsteen sings about them all the time, and Dylan sang about them in the 60s and 70s. But not to let that anger be so pervasive that it's the only emotion that we project. Right. So that people usually Mm -hmm. will stay away from an angry person, Mm -hmm. not join them. Right, right.
0: And, you know, Karis was expressing love for you. Oh, yeah.
1: She felt safe enough to to ask her mom, Right. Why is Dad so angry? Yeah, yeah. And I, my, my wife's response was, "Go ask him," which is what she did. Uh-huh. Why is so angry, Dad? Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about my day and about not getting all the work that I needed to get done, and leaving work feeling kind of a failure that I didn't get everything done that I needed to get done, forgetting all the stuff that I did get done. Mm-hmm. But focusing on the work that I didn't get done, Mm -hmm. and that's where the anger came from, because I had unrealistic expectations of what my day was going to be like. So I couldn't forgive myself for being human. Mm -hmm. Well, that
0: is tough, uh, forgiving self. Mm -hmm. Uh, But others help us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds, I mean, that beautiful little story that you just told, it's sort of, you know, your daughter uh, provided an opportunity for you to get out of jail. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's right, <laughs> but I didn't pass go. I didn't collect two hundred dollars. Right, yeah. I just got out of jail. Just
0: guy, well. Maybe getting out of jail is mm-hmm. good enough. Yes, that uh, is that's a kind of deliverance. We use the language of salvation in church all the time.
1: But you just said something that gets me thinking about Daenu mm-hmm. in the uh, Hebrew tradition and mm-hmm. the Hebrew scriptures. It's enough. Mm-hmm. There's a song that they sing. I think mm-hmm. uh, during one of the high holy days, Daenu. It's enough that. Scripture from the Hebrew tradition. If, if if I created a Garden of Eden, that would have been enough. If mm-hmm. I, if I led you out of Egypt, that would have been enough. If I helped you to defeat your enemies, that would have been enough. Mm-hmm. Enough. It's enough. Yeah. So I think forgiveness work helps us to acknowledge the fact it's enough. I've done enough. Mm-hmm. I've been enough. Mm-hmm. I am enough. God loves me. I'm beloved in God's eyes because I'm enough.
0: Mm-hmm and that uh, that may be more than enough more than when, enough when yeah. we're free to realize that to mm-hmm. to celebrate it to practice to live with each other mm-hmm. in ways that honor Amen. one another
1: carl this has been a rich time well uh, i appreciate you having me come in uh, and share some of my own story personally and professionally mm-hmm. with your listeners
0: i'm very grateful and uh, i look forward to uh well, our continuing friendship, but also the opportunity to come over to
1: Penn Foundation and
0: uh, mm-hmm. and spend time with folks there.
1: I think at the heart of ministry is helping people to tolerate their losses and mm-hmm. navigate their losses. We shouldn't do that work, and I use the word should carefully, unless we've done that work in our own life, too. Mm-hmm. Somebody once said, I think it's in family systems, you can't take a person to a place you haven't been to yourself. Mm. usually we get to places in our life when other people bring help, accompany us there. Yes. Yes. And I think that's at the heart of our ministry is a ministry of accompaniment and companionship so that other people's hearts can burn just like the disciples' hearts burned Mm. when Jesus was speaking to them on the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. Good words. And uh, an even deeper life.
2: Right.
0: Thanks again. Thank you.